The Lord be with you. Together, let us pray the prayer for illumination. Gracious Lord, remind us that you have shared with us your most precious gift, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to model our lives after his message of compassion and service to you and to all our world. In Christ's name, we offer this prayer. Amen. A reading from the book of Numbers, the 21st chapter, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became discouraged on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. Word of God, word of life, thanks be to God.
Please be seated. Before I read the scripture, I just want to note, we don't always get the copy editing correct in the worship guide. Um, coming up in a few moments as we pray together the Lord's Prayer, um, I have found, even though I learned the Lord's Prayer when I was a little fella, it helps me to read the prayer as I pray it to help guide my mind. Um, and this one petition is repeated. Now, maybe we need that as a point of emphasis and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We'll only pray the one petition once. But um, I didn't notice this at the 8.30 service. Help us to model our lies after his... Oh, my goodness. Lord, forgive us. It should read, help us to model our lives. Thank you for your understanding. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes... You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. If you have your personal Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have your personal Bible, just reach in front of you, find the Pew Bible, page 192 in the New Testament. 192 in the New Testament. And as you are finding that page, I invite you to just put your finger in there and hold it tight. I want to remind you of a scene from The Princess Bride, one of my favorite movies, maybe one of your favorites too. Wesley, the hero who would eventually be with Princess Buttercup, was ravaged, tortured in his body, and uh, was just about dead. And his comrades brought him to see none other than Miracle Max, hoping that Miracle Max could do something to bring Wesley back to life. And it's, it's a really funny scene for many reasons. Uh, for starters, Billy Crystal, with the prosthetics and the voice, is just really funny. And, and he corrects the comrades to Wesley, and, and, and he says, you, you think that your friend is dead, but he's just mostly dead. 
And there's a difference between mostly dead and all dead. But I think another reason why it makes us laugh is because matters of life and death grip us. And they leave us wondering. So the Apostle Paul, knowing this, speaks of death as a metaphor to describe the lowliness of our life due to sin. And that's how he begins Ephesians chapter 2. Something I want to point out, these 10 verses can be divided into two sections. The first section, verses 1 through 3. The second section, verses 4 through 10. In verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul writes about how the impact of sin completely prevents us from being able to do anything good on our own. We have no chance. No chance. In other words, just in the same way that a dead person has no chance of breathing or living, of enjoying the sunset, of being with friends and family, just in the same way we are dead to life because of our sin. No chance. Not mostly dead, but all dead. The way that Paul goes on to explain this, I think, is, is quite stunning. Because he describes the power of sin in the air. It's in the atmosphere. He doesn't blame any one particular person. There is a, a slight allusion to what we would describe as, as um, original sin. That is something that is inborn physiologically in our very being that we cannot escape. We are born into it. There's a hint that there's something about it, but he describes sin as something in the air. It's in the atmosphere. And it affects all of us. Suppose, for example, you go shopping with good intentions. You go shopping for a birthday gift for a loved one. And while you're out shopping for the birthday gift, you can't help but notice that this really great outfit that would look really good on you. And you look at this outfit and you reason to yourself, you know, I've really been going through a hard time lately. Life has been so challenging and difficult. I deserve this. If I buy this, it, it will make me happy. And then on that shopping trip, you uh, look at this little gadget over here and you see this gadget and you think, oh, if I just had this, my life would be so much easier. Life's been so hard for me lately. I better just buy this gadget now and have it. I deserve it. It will make my life better. And before we know it, we didn't buy the birthday gift, but we selfishly sought out things for us. Why? Because we caved into something in the atmosphere called commercialism, materialism, and we succumb to it. Or what about when we go out to eat with some friends? We go out with good intentions to be with people that we love, who, who care for us and for whom we offer care. And over that dinner conversation, someone makes a comment. And that comment is targeted towards a group of people. 
and it's charged with a negative energy, someone hears that and they pounce on it and they also amp up the energy with another harmful comment. And before you know it, the table conversation has shifted tremendously and you find yourself wanting to be with them going along. And you find yourself saying things that you would otherwise not say because it's contrary to the love of God in your life. Why? Because there's something in the air. And before you know it, you cave in to hate and fear. According to Paul, this is the way that sin is operating. He says that we are following the course of the world, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us have succumbed to it, he says. But, but, that's the word that begins verse 4, the second part of this passage of Scripture. From verses 4 through 10, Paul describes the power of God's mercy at work within our hearts. I want us to pay attention to that first word, though, in verse 4. But, the Greek word is de. Have you ever noticed how the word but functions in a sentence or in telling a story, it negates whatever happened previously. It disqualifies whatever was said previously. For example, the team was down by 12 points, but they got a turnover, mounted a comeback, and won the game. That was a delicious meal, but it was over 3,000 calories, full of saturated fat, and loaded with salt. When I was 17, I uh, had dated a girl. We had gone out a couple of times. You've heard this story before, sweetie. This is nothing new. <laughs> and it was around this time of year, the end of January into the beginning of February, and I thought, I'm going to surprise her on Valentine's Day. So I went and got her flowers. Don't worry, they were the grocery store flowers. And I went to her house, knocked on her door, and had the flowers hidden behind my back, ready to surprise her. And I surprised her all right. She had this look on her face as if to say, what are you doing here? And I look beyond her in the back, and I see some other guy, very comfortable, in her family's home, and I showed her the flowers. I said, Happy Valentine's Day. And she said, We need to talk. <laughs> okay. She said, Look, you're a really nice guy, and we've had fun together, but I didn't hear anything else she said after that. And quite frankly, it didn't matter. Because the word but has a way of negating what was previously said, disqualifying the previous statement. So here's how that word functions in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Verses 1 through 3, we have an understanding about the impact of sin for all people. But, 
God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, not mostly dead, all dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You see, God's merciful love has canceled out our sin, disqualified our sin. God's loving mercy provides for us the forgiveness that we need so that we can live in God's grace. Within the United Methodist Church, we we have a Wesleyan perspective for understanding such things. And we humbly appreciate that there are different interpretations of Scripture, different expressions of Christianity. And the way that we talk about such words and such themes, I believe, are thoroughly biblical and right down the middle of Christian traditional teaching. In fact, beyond Christianity to the ancient covenants that we find in the Old Testament. We believe that God's grace is present and active within a person's life even before they realize it. And then when a person comes to say yes to participating in God's grace, that is when a person can, by faith, experience God's justifying grace. This is what Jesus Christ did on the cross and through the empty tomb for us, providing for us forgiveness of our sins and the gift of life, even when we are dead. God's justifying grace. Here's what Paul says, end of verse 5. By grace you have been saved. And then a few verses down in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Meaning, our salvation is a gift of God. Unmerited nothing that we could do to deserve it. It is completely a lavish gift that God's merciful self gives to our self. And the way that we experience it is through faith. We must respond to the gift of faith with our own faith because it was the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to the will of the Heavenly Father, that we can experience new life, life eternal. And Paul, knowing human nature, is very clear to say, this is not our own doing. If it was, if it was the result of works, then people would be boasting about it. Now, let's be clear. When he's talking about works here in verse 9, he's specifically talking about a Pharisaic approach to religion, following all the rules of the law, capital L, to the T, thinking that strict adherence would win us salvation. He says, that's not going to do it. If it was, well, then we would be keeping track. We'd be keeping track of ourselves, And just knowing human nature, we would be boasting about how great we're doing. Have you ever heard of a Q rating? Q rating. This is what celebrities use to measure how popular they are. Entertainers, politicians, business people, musicians, athletes, they all have a Q rating. 
And no doubt that each one of them has a team of publicists, managers, and agents who are working hard to increase their Q rating. It's based on public perception, the number of tickets that they sell, the number of plays they get on Spotify, how many interviews they conduct, how many books they sell, how many people attend their events. It gives them a chance to boast, to claim to be the best. Any top-level celebrity that you can imagine I guarantee they are monitoring their Q rating. Now, that might be beyond the scope of our life experience. But for normal folks like you and me, especially young people, it's too easy to think that our life's value is based on the number of clicks, the number of likes, the number of views, the number of supposed friends. Instead, of trusting that our life has value in God. That through God's mercy, we can experience real life. Nothing that we are able to measure on our own effort, that would just give us more reason to boast. It's not based on our works. However, says Paul, at the end of verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's a life of holiness. Holiness. Our particular understanding of holiness is all about the capacity to love God and to love others so that nothing gets in the way. When we do experience God's justifying grace, then we are immediately set on a path by the power of the Holy Spirit to experience God's sanctifying grace, where we grow. And it prompts us to become holy. Yes, particularly in some passages of the Old Testament, there's a notion of holiness that signifies purity. But there's nothing that you and I can do to make our lives more pure. That's like noticing a swampy pond full of debris and filth and thinking that if we just add the right chemicals, then that swamp will be potable drinking water. Holiness is not so much about achieving purity, but it's about growing in love. Now, please know, I want to live as pure a life as possible about what I eat, what I drink, what I say, what I do. My wife and I try to teach this to our children through precept and example. The ultimately, becoming holy is about God's work, God's sanctifying grace, tearing away the things that would prevent us from being a more loving person. When we grow in holiness of heart and life, we see the connection of the gospel deep down inside of us and beyond us. When we grow in holiness, that gives us the chance to, when we are out shopping and we're faced with that temptation about thinking 
buying things would make my life more valuable or make me feel better, gives us the capacity to say no. Or when we are with those friends over a bite to eat and the conversation turns to a harsh way, gives us the chance to stop it and to speak up and to speak a word of love as God would have us to do. You see, the impact of sin is such, we're not mostly dead, we're all dead. We have no chance of saving ourselves. Yet God's mercy is much deeper and broader than anything that we could imagine. And it's just what we need. By grace, we are saved through faith. So when you respond to God's mercy with faith, you go from being dead to being alive. Today and forever. Amen.